and in our hands is placed the power greater than their hoarded gold, greater than the might of armies magnified a thousandfold. We can bring to birth a new world from the ashes of the old, for the union makes us strong. Solidarity forever, solidarity forever, solidarity forever, for the union makes us strong. Solidarity forever, solidarity forever, solidarity forever, for the union makes us strong. I'm Rose Maddox, and I'd like to tell you that you're listening to KBOO in Portland, Oregon, the station that I listen to when I'm in the area. Yeah. 
Hi, greetings and welcome to Prison Pipeline, airing from the studios of KBOO Portland. I'm your host, Adam Carpinelli. Prison Pipeline presents a unique perspective of the criminal justice system addressing the root causes of crime and broadening understanding the institution of incarceration. And today we're here with Jody Hassel from Blossom House. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks, Adam. Right on. Thanks for being on the show. Um, you have such an interesting, not only project, but perspective on on the work that um, that entails helping people through movement and, and, you know, body awareness, among other things, and um, dealing with trauma. But the first question is, can you tell us about yourself and how all that led into kind of the work that you're doing today? Sure. So I would say that what's led me into doing this work is just the need for it myself. And as a trauma survivor, you know, as a person who has their own sorts of impacts in the lives we live these days, and the need to have a system of recovery for that um, from from various sources of impact. And that drew me to discovering uh, practices of embodiment, including yoga, and eventually along that path, um, coming to find a refined system of trauma-sensitive yoga at the Center for Trauma and Embodiment. Um, It's been a years-long journey to recognize what actually works for me in terms of that type of recovery and then also recognizing the gaps in community um, for whom there may be the most need to have access to these systems so basically i currently work for the Center for Trauma and Embodiment out of Boston, which was started from Bessel van der Kolk's Trauma Center. Bessel van der Kolk is a medical um, researcher and psychologist who wrote The Body Keeps the Score, which is one of the, I guess, leading voices in trauma research. And uh, so that informed just my regular kind of grassroots practice of yoga, which had always worked for me in terms of healing. Um, I think that's what, if there's an umbrella under which all the things that I do fall, it's the healing arts umbrella. Um, and that includes definitely also the the arts, like performing arts and different things like that, that are integrated into something that I created called Blossom House um, with a collective of friends and artists and other folks in the healing arts. Blossom House is a is a 501c3 nonprofit collective of artists, teachers, and um, folks in the, the healing community who want to bring trauma informed practices and um, the arts in general to folks who just don't have access. And, and so we recognize that the biggest need is, is for folks who are incarcerated, who are disconnected, who are separated from from community and the rest of the people um, in our town. So so that's part of it. Um, Can you talk about how the organization kind of formed? Sure. Yeah. So it, it really just formed as friends coming together and seeing a need and wanting to serve. Um, my I have a music project with a, a dear friend named Kendra Calhoun and just in, in talking about what we can do with the the resources that we have um, 
to serve community, we started out not even actually thinking about folks who were incarcerated, but just wanting to, recognizing that the yoga world in general is a kind of um, sort of strange community that's pretty siloed in a, in a private business type of way and um, maybe doesn't honor its own roots in that way that it should be something that all people can access and experience in their own ways, in their own bodies. And because it's particularly, you know, industrialized and monetized in a certain way here in the States, um, a lot of people don't have access to it. So it was about that. It was that conversation. How do we create access to this form? And where is the need? And then it just grew from there because as also as musicians, um, we wanted to create different programs for for people. And then I think I started writing. Um, I start. I'm also a writer, and I work out of the University of Alaska Fairbanks as an educator in the writing department. And we were doing some some writing groups in Fairbanks Correctional Center, which is an adult facility, and. In those groups, um, weekly groups, writing groups, one person said, I wish we could do yoga in here. You know, oh, well, uh, okay, why didn't we figure that out before? I'm a yoga teacher, let's make it happen. And that person was in a, a group for um, for women. And so we started out with, actually we, you know, so some of these things just are so serendipitous in, in that there was, um, you know, a criminal justice officer, whatever the best way to talk about them is, inside who, who really believed that yoga was so useful in there. And that was really lucky because she spearheaded a program, two different classes, one for the, the men and one for the women. And... Um, it's pretty complicated, as you might know, for for folks in terms of gender inside. You have to be siloed into these two compartments. Um, so we had two classes going for yoga, and I believe that's the the writing program I was in on maybe started around twenty fifteen or so, and then the yoga maybe got started around twenty sixteen or seventeen. And eventually, as a as a result of its popularity for folks, I developed a a two hundred hour teaching program where folks inside could learn to be yoga teachers themselves, which is pretty amazing that it got to happen. It it also got to be a co ed um, educational ten month program for them. Um, so that was something that grew out of that initial conversation in that writing group like hey I wish we had yoga and then all of a sudden we were able to graduate eight people from this 200 hour inside um, yoga teacher training which actually wrapped there was a graduation for it on March 3rd 2020 and then all of a sudden they shut the doors you know for COVID and we haven't walked back in there since which is very very sad backtrack a little bit though because you're you just mentioned a couple of things you're so because you're also a writer and scholar and professor and i know you're going to conferences and things around trauma-informed stuff and then and then you're also a yoga instructor so where did that come from 
where did that start? When did you start doing yoga and, <laughs> and uh, becoming an instructor to, to do that with all, all this free time? <laughs> sure, sure. I, you know, I never intended to be a yoga teacher at all. When I when I reached out to, to, to different um, instructors and actually Sean Korn, who is a national teacher and, um, and an activist, an amazing, you know, educator in, in her own right and in multiple levels was really inspiring to me on on a level of bringing activism to her spirituality which might seem like an odd fit but or maybe it's a perfect fit and so for me yoga was a way it started out as exercise it started out as going to a gym and finding a class when i was 18 when when nobody really did it and i then i think i had a vhs tape of it and i just read a book did it by myself and eventually, it, you know, it was getting more and more popular where I would go to these different larger classes while traveling. And actually, Sean Korn said something in a class that I was in, um, the body remembers, the body remembers. And I'd find myself on the mat sometimes in the middle of a form in tears or, you know, just like, why is that happening? How is that connected to to doing a stretch? And so... Putting that all together led me down the path of um, actually writing um, an MFA thesis about it, uh, about what trauma is and how it lives in the body and how what it does it mean to say that the body remembers and why would it be that doing a certain stretch and experiencing a certain sensation would unlock some sort of feeling or memory about something maybe even preverbal. So there's a lot to unpack about those things as well. Um, but basically what I came to finally understand in in deep study of it over, you know, 15, 15 years or so, 15, 20 years, maybe more since I, I guess I started really doing yoga in 1985. That was a long time ago. <laughs> and uh, now the way that I view yoga, I it's come around through so many loops of, you know, power yoga, really fast moving exercise yoga, yoga pants yoga, all of those things to just being aware of the power of the present moment, that kind of mindful awareness um, that comes with really authentically accepting what is and noticing what's real. And so being able to take that awareness um, and create a time and space within which people and myself included can notice a sensation or be offered a suggestion to try a form and then have the capacity or the space to choose within that framework. So this is the essence of trauma-sensitive yoga really. It's the ability to experience having a body, to be present in a moment, and within that construct and context to choose. And that's something that is really taken away in incarcerated spaces. And so when you can enter into a space that's heavily, heavily layered in various oppressions throughout a person's day, and maybe offer a few moments to be present even within those constraints 
and have an opportunity to be authentic in noticing what is and then choosing how to be or to move through that moment. That's, I think, why I'm doing this and what that means for me. Um, on top of all of that are layers and layers of relationship too, you know, with staff and um, people who are in those spaces. So, yeah, Can you tell us some more, how did you get kind of connected with the with some of these facilities um i know you you've already mentioned um well i guess i guess both of them um and um and how how that whole kind of project fleshed out sure so the two facilities that i work with here in Fairbanks, alaska which is the land of the lower town of Dene, unceded territory and who make up a large portion of the population inside these spaces sadly i just feel like i need to reference the the history there because it is such a source of trauma and I live the impacts and the benefits of you know being on the trajectory of settlers here myself so but in the Fairbanks Correctional Center and the Fairbanks Youth Facility I basically had connections with different teachers and in the Fairbanks Youth Facility because there's a school that's connected to the Fairbanks North Star Borough School District inside the facility. And various different teachers and counselors who have worked in there have reached out to me over the years to come in as a poet or to come in as a yoga teacher. There have been different grants that those teachers have written that I've come in under. And then um, it, it just sort of simultaneously happened that Blossom House was growing at the same time. Um, and so once the grants that were written by the teachers ran out, we picked up and and went in under our own grants. I mean, there's also been lots and lots of volunteer hours just going in because I have developed relationships with the staff and um, the consistency is important. So when, when the grants fall off, we just keep going in. Pick them up back later when we can. For folks just tuning in, you're listening to Prison Pipeline airing from the studios of KBOO Portland. We're here with Jody Hassel from Blossom House in Fairbanks, Alaska, working with incarcerated persons, specifically youth doing trauma-informed work. And going back to the whole trauma-informed project, though, in general, um, it's something that a lot of people kind of don't know about. I mean, you know, you can say trauma, people kind of know what you mean, but there's definitely this whole, uh, if I can call it kind of movement or, you know, academic discourse and different threads to, to it, like community discourse of just putting together different trauma-informed ways of, of, of doing things, different methodologies, and people are seeing that it's working. But can you give maybe a little bit more context about it? I know you're doing networking around it, and what are the kind of things that you're seeing um, right. as you're discovering this this work more and, and helping to actually like refine the ongoing discourse around it? Sure. So for me, it roots in this um, practice of trauma-sensitive yoga and for that system, the methodology is based on these theoretical underpinnings of attachment theory, which comes out of the field of psychology and neuroscience and trauma theory, basically how people develop this language around trauma, which is as old as humans are. Um, before there was the word trauma, people experienced impacts of adverse situations of all kinds, right? So it's not anything new, even though it's kind of buzzwordy these days. It's, it's unfortunate that it has to be a new 
lens that we take on that we haven't understood it really well for so long. But um, the idea now, I think, is has many facets. So um, as an organism trying to survive and thrive, our bodies are literally ingenious at creating strategies for coping, right? And so when we think about um, the body remembering, there's a, there's lots of ways to understand how that uh, person's nervous system will cope with various different si situations throughout their life and will remember different kinds of templates or mapping systems for how to navigate through life. So the body remembers really refers to this idea that our bodies know how or create a pattern of response to different situations to survive. Um, that can be both good for us and limiting for us. And when we come into situations that are institutionalized, like educational systems or incarceration systems, or where those two are meeting together, it's education within incarcerated systems, we have to understand that a body in those different contexts is going to still be operating from that mapping system or that code system that it's learned all along as a human growing into being now. And so if we want to be sensitive to those encoded systems, those mapping systems or those traumas, we have to figure out a way to First, number one, understand them. So being trauma-informed means understanding the nervous system, the body, those reactions. And it also understand, It also requires that we understand how it's been historicized, how it's been politicized, how it's been exploited in all of these different layers of society. That's a tall ask. That's a big ask. But at, you know, at least we can maybe come up with some protocol or some pedagogy or androgy of how to be aware of um, what people actually need and how to meet people where they are. So for me, in terms of the trauma-sensitive yoga, that requires an understanding of the language that I'm using and the constructs that I'm creating in terms of how to present a yoga form. So. For instance, just to make it concrete, <clears throat> instead of saying, step your right foot forward and reach down to your toe and, you know, that kind of thing, I'll offer a set of options. So giving people choice, using language that is not triggering, um, being aware of what people's triggers might be in certain situations and understanding how to be flexible around those things is, is key in any context. So that's a piece of it. it. It also is so interrelated with all the intersections of positionality, and it's really rooted in power. So one of my favorite researchers is Judith Herman, who is a medical researcher and wrote uh, Trauma and Recovery. And her work was based mostly in understanding situations of interpersonal violence or domestic violence situations and created these longitudinal studies of the impacts on mostly women in relationships and um, noted that in so many situations of trauma, there's 
a situation of feeling um, disempowered. And so one thing that I quote Herman on is, is what she says that no intervention that takes power away from the survivor can possibly foster their recovery, no matter how much it appears to be in their best interests. So and so often in, in situations of education or even incarceration, people are working to do things that are for the best interests of those involved, right? But anytime something is enacted by policy, program, or whatever it is, anytime something is enacted that actually takes power away from people, it's further reinforcing the trauma um, for that person and taking away their ability to recover. So that's powerful. And, you know, with your, your focus currently working with youth, then it seems like that's even another step forward because then it's like catching people, you know, when they're younger, right? You know, then when they're older. So in other words, how much time has, has gone by that they haven't been able to process certain things or recover from certain things or whatnot. And can you talk more about um, the work with, with the youth and, and that you, you mentioned a few things kind of about the, the demographic and uh, also kind of the, the age range and, and kind of what the scope of the, the current work look, looks like. Sure. So at the Fairbanks Youth Facility, I'm working with teens who can range in age from 12 to 19 sometimes. Um, and usually they're aged out by 18, but sometimes there's like a little gray area or something. And that's a massive range for youth to be in the same situation together, even in a even in a yoga situation. So with that as the context that I'm usually in there, for instance, last Friday, there were maybe 12 youth in there in the gym um, on yoga mats with me. And previously there were two sides to the facility, a treatment side and a detention side. So, so youth who were serving shorter terms were in the detention side and folks who had longer terms of recovery might be in there for one to two years. Uh, so what I'm noticing in bringing yoga there is that it is a it is a pretty powerful tool and contrary to even my own you know initial expectations and in, in working with teens for many years I previously worked in the um, school district in middle school and high school for about 10 years and largely you know teens maybe don't all want to do the class that they're in, whatever the content is. However, um, they tend to really look forward to the yoga classes and to want to be there. Um, and I think part of it has to do with the trauma-sensitive nature of what I am presenting, because even though it has been an interesting dance to work in a situation where there are staff in the room who have a particular set of expectations for participation, I'm still offering everything that I suggest as a true suggestion that people can do the form or not do the form. Um, and so when folks choose not to, there can be all manner of different reaction from staff inside. And uh, I think what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is that I'm trying to offer a situation where, where people can tune into their own sensations in their body 
and by choosing what they want to do, which can even be to do the form or not do the form, have a sense of power within themselves in their own bodies. And then on top of that, sometimes, yes, they want to learn the forms that, you know, a, a youth was saying, you know, if I want to do this form, how would I learn this? How do I do this when you're not here? So there's interest in the content, there's interest in what we're doing, but I think what's truly valuable is is the social situation in which we are together, no matter what happens, um, beyond the expectations of, of um, being the good student or the bad student, there's some space there, there's some leeway for them to really be authentic in certain moments, and that's what I cling to. I think the last thing we even have time for um, is maybe tell us a little bit about your your team um, of folks that that you have. It looks like you have a great great team of folks, and how people can uh, just get in touch, which is blossomhouse.org. Yep, blossomhouse.org. Um, we do offer trainings in trauma sensitive yoga and um, trauma informed pedagogy. So those are mostly instructed by myself. And then we have a few different projects under Blossom House. We have a thing called Breadcrumbs Theater, which is um, a collective of folks, a kind of a theater troupe that we um, we do playback theater and some um, other applied theater think forms like Theater of the Oppressed, and bring that also into the facility, uh, Fairbanks Youth Facility. So those, um, that project, there's also the Yoga Service Project Alaska. And um, those are the two main projects right now that Blossom House is still really active in um, post-COVID. And definitely there are some, there's a lot of information on our website about, about each of those two things. I'm also associated with a group called Learning Inside Out Network, which is LION, which is a collective of folks who are you know, folks who are formerly incarcerated, folks who are educators, folks who are interested artists in the community coming together to create a lot of different types of interactive um, engagements for folks who are in community inside those spaces and outside. So that's Lion Learning Inside Out Network. That's another great one to, to check out. Great, those are awesome projects and thanks so much for sharing. You've been listening to Prison Pipeline, airing from the studios of KBO Portland. Listen to this and previous Prison Pipeline programs at kboo.fm slash Prison Pipeline. Like Prison Pipeline on Facebook. Special thanks to our guest and Prison Pipeline Collective member, Karen James, for production. Free them all. (laughs) 